Welcome to Bell Curve with Mary Scott, Rachel, and Liz, three friends, three Southern Bells, joining you, smart women, to discuss life, work, relationships, business, everything from the nerdy to the normal, the practical to the philosophical, the head to the heart. Thanks for joining us as we observe, analyze, and often deviate from the standard. Hi, everyone. Rachel Breyers here, joined by Mary Scott Hunter and Liz Bashirs. And ladies, I have a confession to make. You know those beautiful pictures Liz took of the three of us for the website and our social media? Did I ever tell y'all that I had a professional makeup artist do my makeup that day? <gasps> what? You did not. <laughs> I, did. I mean, you always look gorgeous, but you're especially striking that day. Y'all, I love getting my makeup done for special events or photos because there really is just something wonderful when an artist can help you feel as good on the outside as you do on the inside. And it's kind of funny because someone posted a picture of me um, a couple days ago after a workout. I had no makeup on and I thought, oh, that's what I actually look like. <laughs> That's not fair. Oh, I know. I was like, oh, but you know, there's nothing wrong with going makeup free. And there are many women who don't wear makeup for a variety of reasons. But whether or not you do or you don't, I think we all agree that makeup artistry, like we see on the runway, on celebrities and fashion magazines is actually an art form. So y'all, I really can't tell you how excited I am to introduce our Bell Curve community to one of those artists Today, we are talking to Virginia Bradley Lindsay, who is kind of a big deal in the makeup artistry world. How are you? Hey, how's it going, everybody? (laughs) Welcome to the show. So Virginia has done makeup for really a pretty impressive list of clients, such as Andy McDowell, Mila Jovovich. Did I say that correctly, Virginia? Jovovich. Jovovich, I I never know if I'm saying it right. Yeah. Ethan Hawke, Michael Phelps, Anne and Nancy Wilson from Heart, Chris Cornell, the late Chris Cornell, Paul Stanley from Kiss. Sam Hunt, Drake. She's worked in fashion shows such as Alexander Wang, Calvin Klein, Michael Kors, Tori Burch. Really, the list goes on and just done the makeup in many print magazines and elsewhere. She is also from Birmingham, Alabama, and actually graduated from the same high school that I went to. And she currently lives in the New York City area with her husband and two beautiful children. But Virginia, I just kind of think back to those years that we were in the same high school. And I kind of, we weren't in the same grade. But I knew who you were, and I always thought to myself, there is something very interesting and spe- like you just seemed like an artist oh, to me. Really? Yes, I never felt like I fit in. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wanted to ask you about that because I, I wondered. I was like, I just she's not. You know, the word now would be basic. I'm like, that girl's not basic. <laughs> like, there's something special about her. <laughs> I don't know if anybody's basic, but I definitely didn't feel like I fit in, (laughs) which I don't think most, I think uh, most New Yorkers don't feel like they fit in. It's usually why they end up in New York City, (laughs) the island of rejects. (laughs) Yeah, I want to ask you all about, I mean, to me, it's quite an interesting story. And I'd love if you just sort of shared basically from living in Birmingham, Alabama, how you got where you are, how did you form this career? Sort of just walk us through this fascinating story of yours. Yeah, sure. Um, Well, I went to Auburn University, where he go for painting. And I, painting faces was my favorite thing to paint. I've always been obsessed with faces ever since I was a little kid. And I was going to go to graduate school for painting and sort of between graduate and undergraduate 
I got this job at this little makeup boutique in Vestavia called In Vogue. It's not there anymore, but it was a really special place. Um, Beth Teat was the owner, and she was in women's ministry at her church, and it was just a really nurturing place for women. And um, I was really lucky to get a job there, and I started doing makeup, and I loved it. Because the thing for me, painting is so isolating, and I'm super extroverted. So I thought, this is great. I think I'm just going to become a makeup artist and not go to graduate school. And um, so that's what I decided. And we were we were lucky, too, in that little boutique. It had all these little niche lines that were owned by different makeup artists. So they'd come in and train us. There's a couple of Oscar winners, Julie Hewitt, Tina Earnshaw. Julie, I still work with a little bit. She's George Clooney's makeup artist. And Tina had, well, she'd been nominated for two Oscars, one for Titanic, one for Talented Mr. Ripley. And she was Kate Winslet, Jennifer Connelly, Gwyneth Paltrow's makeup artist in the 90s. So really a great makeup artist. And uh, she invited me and another Birmingham makeup artist who's still a working makeup artist in Birmingham who's fabulous, Celine, it was Chenoweth, now it's Celine Russell, out to LA to come train with her. So we both did that together and uh, it was great. And then when we were finished, Tina said, you know, I think you should really pursue makeup. You're really good. If you want to do film, you should come to L.A. If you want to do fashion, you should move to New York. And for me, it was a no-brainer. I didn't want to live in L.A. I didn't want to do film. I wanted to do fashion in, in New York. So I, well, I started to save my money, and then I ended up having a massive car accident where I probably should be dead. But that the money I got from that car accident let me move to New York City. Oh, really? Um, yeah. <laughs> Well, that's a silver lining, huh? <laughs> yeah, right. So there's always a silver lining, isn't there? But um, so, yeah, so I moved to New York and was fortunate enough to have a lot of friends in sort of the music industry already. And um, actually, another Briarwood graduate to begin with was my first roommate, Sarah Hooper, and she's still in the in that industry in L.A. But um. Uh, and I was dating a guy who was a DJ and stuff. So I started out doing music videos and then reality TV because reality TV, <laughs> those were not fun jobs, but it paid the bills. And then eventually I was working, but I needed to do, I wasn't really doing a lot of fashion, fashion. So to do fashion, you have to start assisting other big time famous fashion artists. So I you know, put a small portfolio together and then you start emailing agencies. It probably works a little bit different now with Instagram, but at the time, this was pre-Instagram. You'd email the agencies and then show them your portfolio. Be humble. I say, I really love this artist. I'd love to assist them. You might not ever get a call back, but you might. And if you did, you are very lucky to get to start assisting. And so I assisted some really great artists, a guy named Pep Gay, another guy named Syl Brunsma. And then I was on a lot of, for Fashion Week, I did a lot of runway shows. So for Fashion Week, there's the key artist. They're always the big artists like Pat McGrath or, you know, she's the mother. Literally everybody calls her mother. And you get on these teams and it's a great way to meet people too. So I was on a, lucky enough to be on several teams. I was on Dick Page's team for eight years. I was on Pat McGrath's team for a few years. Um, Diane Kendall, uh, and then Syl did a lot of fashion shows and I was his first assistant. So that's kind of how I got into fashion. Long story. Well, no, it's so <laughs> interesting. It seems like there's a theme there though, even starting from 
the person who recognized the talent in you in Birmingham and gave you it an opportunity. And then it sounds like mother Pat McGrath of women <laughs> seeing other women talents in them and helping them, helping them find bigger opportunities. Is that something that you resonate with or have you had an opportunity to do that for other women? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's really important to, I think not everybody does this. There's two types of people in the fashion industry. Unfortunately, I'd say more often than not, there's the type of person who they will help you kind of, but they're really going to kind of be mean to you because they want you to pay your dues. I mean, you've all seen the Devil Wears Prada. It really is like that. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, (laughs) uh, so a lot of times you just have to be, I, it's it's important. That's one of the reasons why it's important to be in a place in New York, go to parties, be on these teams. You have to sort of expose yourself to other people because it really is about who you know. And then, but then you do every now and then. Sometimes you do meet a really nice person, and they will take you under your wing. And I do try to do that as much as I can because I've assisted, and you know it's not easy. And so when I have an assistant, I try to give them as much advice as I can and help them out. But yeah, it's it's a bit of luck. And then, you know, obviously you have to be good, but a lot of luck, a lot of persistence. It takes years. People get, you don't make any money for forever and you have to pound on a lot of doors. And yeah, it's a lot of persistence. <laughs> what, what kind of kept you going through? I mean, to, to me, it seems like there would maybe be the the thought of this, it's hard to live up here, or this is inconvenient, or man, this is hard, and I'm not making much money, maybe I'll just go back home. I don't know. Did you ever think those things or what challenges did you have to overcome to stick with it long enough to outlast and persist? I I think for me, what kept me going was just the love of New York City. I didn't want to move. I had a lot of friends. I was having a really good time. And you help each other out. Everybody's struggling, or at least, you know, the people that I knew at the time we're all up and coming and, you know, we just, we're all poor and artists and trying to figure it out and help each other out. I was really lucky to have a, a church that was really supportive uh, with a lot of really close friends who were in similar situations to me. Uh, so you're not alone. I think that's what kept me going. And then financially, I don't know how I did it. I think my grandfather actually helped me out, which not a, not a lot of people have that but I have to thank him (laughs) (laughs) well and now I mean transitioning into the life that you lead now you're a you're a wife you're a mother can you tell us a little bit about how you integrate motherhood with your work what what does your typical day look like and then also I'd love to explore being a mother of uh, a beautiful son who happens to have down syndrome oh yeah so uh being a mom has changed a lot of things uh for me as far as work i moved out from the city to long island full-time when i was pregnant with my first child and um just i'm pretty far out on the island um uh so just having that distance it's a really long commute (laughs) so that was um that was tricky to begin with and then just childcare. i think this is everybody's Every well, day I mean, in every mother's existence. Uh, yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're all in this together, aren't we? It is the oh trickiest, hardest thing. It costs me at least $200 just to go to work. So between childcare for two kids and then uh, tr- like a train ticket or gas. And then I have an agency fee. So that 
is on top and then taxes. So I really, I can't do the little jobs anymore. Not that I ever did like a little jobs when I started getting big, but, um, I really don't work as much as I used to. I can't. And the freelance schedule is tricky too with childcare. So if I had an au pair, maybe it would be easier. Um, but my house is tiny. I don't have room for an au pair and I don't have family in town. So it's really, really hard. No bones about it. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel you, sister. I totally feel you. That has been the hardest thing about cobbling together a career. Is it's so hard. Yeah, I think, yeah, a lot of us can all relate to that. It'll give me so much to look forward to. <laughs> it's worth it. Yeah. <laughs> it's totally worth it. Well, and tell us, tell us about Phineas. I, I'd love to hear I mean, He's so beautiful. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah, he's wonderful. So um, my second child, Phineas, my daughter, Bea, is four. My son, Phineas, just turned two on Saturday. And we I was I guess I was 35 when I was pregnant with him, which is, you know, they make you do the genetic test because you're a geriatric. Don't you love that pregnant word? person at that age? Geriatric, geriatric yeah. at 35. <laughs> what? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I just, I did it or whatever. And it came back that he was positive for Down syndrome, um, which was, you know, obviously a shock and difficult to take in. I, I think for me, it wasn't so much of a big deal. I don't know. I, I like difference and I don't know. I'm sort of pretty laid back about things in general, maybe too much, but I was kind of okay. I mean, obviously I was sad, but, and sort of like, what does this mean? But my husband was the one who had a really, really difficult time. And um, he had suffered from depression for years and had just kind of come out, out of that and wasn't on meds anymore and was in a really good spot. We were in a really, really good spot with our family. And he was so worried that this was going to spin him into depression again. Could he handle this? And then, you know, the culture in the world, I think it's like 90 something percent in Europe and the U.S., 67 percent of people who get the pre-diagnosis for Down syndrome pregnancy choose to abort. For me, that wasn't a question. There's no way I could even um, process that uh, just personally. For my husband, he did want to process that. And that was really difficult because I didn't feel like we were united We'd never had an issue before where we really weren't united. It was really, really tough. Then we ended up meeting, there's a foundation out here called the Down Syndrome Advocacy Foundation. And I recommend, you know, if anybody gets a, a prenatal diagnosis, just find people, families that you know who do have children with Down Syndrome. It's, it's huge. And the doctors don't give you that information. They just tell you all the things that are going to be wrong truthfully, they don't really even know what they're talking about at the time. Mm -hmm. um, so find people who've lived it and it really helps. Uh, but um, this woman uh, uh, with the Down Syndrome Advocacy Foundation who had a 14-year-old daughter with Down Syndrome, she was the first person who said, um, there's nothing sad about this. There's nothing down about this. It's like The hardest part is schools, getting them through the school system um, just because of the world, not because of them. But other than that, she's like, it's wonderful. It's great. And truthfully, she was right. And I have to say, um, my husband struggled the first few months. He has come around. He is so in love with Phineas, our son, and so grateful to have him. And I think Finn has really changed him 
for the better. He's certainly changed our whole family and our way of look. We're more empathetic to to people with differences and disabilities in general, whether they have Down syndrome or not. Um, sort of more open-minded, oh, really about everything. And he is a delight. There really actually isn't anything sad about it. We were fortunate enough. He's really, really healthy. You know, he's delayed with some of his milestones. But, I, I mean, I, what's the big deal? I don't really... That's fine. <laughs> and truthfully, you know, you hear all these moms say, oh, I wish, um, you know, it happened so fast. Well, with Finn, it happens slower. You do get to enjoy those months mm-hmm. and times longer. And it's precious. And he's a wonderful kid. And we're just having a ball. So I'm super grateful. Um, I'm super grateful for Finn. I'm super grateful for having a kid with Down syndrome, I've got to say. That's an awesome perspective, Virginia, and thank you so much for sharing it, and just thank you for having it. I I hope that if, well, I hope, I'm sure we do, because of the percentage of the population that um, that does have Down syndrome, I'm sure we have listeners who have children or have special people in their life who, who have it or, or have received a diagnosis, and I hope they hear it um, and refer it, you know, refer their friends to you, because I think that perspective is so valuable. Yeah, I think any perspective that's different from the perspective that we have as individuals or as groups is valuable. And so if we can, like, like let, as far as I'm concerned, let all the difference in, it just makes us better. Well, thinking of that, Virginia, I mean, going from Birmingham, Alabama to up to the New York City area, there's a perspective that in a place like New York City, you know, it's it's harder to just talk openly about political issues or religious issues that you're always sort of careful what you're going to say. Oh, you can talk about everything in New York City. (laughs) Well, yeah, tell tell me about that. They really talk. (laughs) You know, correct my my perceptions. You know, do you think Mm. that you have more freedom to discuss ideas and have that difference of opinion more so than than maybe we do down here? Or what have have you observed as far as differences in culture? Um, You know, it's funny. The differences, I'd say... I'd say in the South, people are more concerned with being polite than they are in New York. Um, So there's good things and bad things about that. The good things are, you know, you have more pleasant street experiences. Um, (laughs) uh, (laughs) I'm just thinking about a few of my experiences when I lived in New York City. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, right. Although we're recording this interview um, when it's getting close to the holidays and, um, and it does seem like, doesn't it seem like everybody just gets nicer around Christmas time? Totally. Yeah. And actually, sometimes New Yorkers can be extremely nice on the street. It just depends on their New Yorkers are great. They're, they get a bad rap for being mean. They're getting from point A to point B is when they are not, not so great to be around. If they're not in a hurry to get somewhere, they're awesome. Because <laughs> it's hard. It's just hard to get around in New York City. It's stressful. So everybody's on edge. The train is stressful. um, Trying to get in a cab is stressful. If it's raining, it's super stressful. The $13 box of cereal is stressful. Yeah. But I think think New Yorkers are less afraid about, because they're not as 
concerned with being polite. They're very concerned with being authentic. Um, so you do get a lot of honest talk. Um, it might be, I think they're more willing to be confrontational than Southerners. Um, so some people find that offensive. I don't find that offensive anymore. I actually kind of like it. You know, it depends on who you're talking to. I think in both places, you can always find somebody who's going to be offended by your political views or, or, or I can't believe they said that. Like, you know, if, if I was going on some liberal talk with a bunch of conservatives down south, they'd be like, oh, sometimes they're like, is she even a Christian anymore? You know, like, <laughs> um, uh, um, and then uh, and then sometimes if you're, you know, in New York City and you're like MAGA 2020, they're going to be like, oh, my God, that he like he's a total racist. Get him out. You know, so you're going to get. You're going to get the people who are just not listening to each other on both sides. Um, but as far as as far as just being able to talk candidly, I actually think New Yorkers are better about it than Southerners. Mm. That's a stereotype, of course. And so stereotypes are probably not the best way. But I don't know. What's your experience? Virgi- Virginia, when I first moved to New York City, I got a job at Express on, on uh-huh. Madison Avenue. And that I guess it's still around the clothing company, the clothing store. It was limited and express and we had a door guard. And I remember one day it was really shortly after I moved there and the door guard was changing shifts with the other one. And the one door guard said to the other one, Hey, you're New York giants. They suck. And the other one says, Hey, F you. And and then they like made plans to go get a drink that night. (laughs) Yeah. That's very New York. (laughs) I kind of love that. I did too, but I was a little bit just similarly, but have you found any people expressing misconceptions or unrealistic thoughts about you once they find that you're a Southerner by by birth? I have had a few people say, um, you know, oh gosh, it must be culture shock coming up to New York. And I'm like, well, I don't know. It's not that much culture shock really. Um, yeah, I, I think some people assume that it's still, you know, the Birmingham in the '60s with, in you know, all you know, all that stuff. I mean, in some ways, that that is still a legitimate thing to talk about. Um, but you know, so I think I'd say on both sides, you just have to travel, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to really, <laughs> to really understand. Um, you know, New York or New Yorkers who haven't been down South, they should go down South before they start making judgments and, and vice versa. It's really probably true for anything, isn't it? I'm super <laughs> curious about, I mean, doing makeup, I mean, I'm sure it takes, sometimes you're doing someone's face and it takes hours. So what kind of conversations have you had that have surprised you <laughs> or have just like, what do you talk about when you're in somebody's face like that? Well, this is one of the things. So I, I just go there. Um, I talk about a lot of philosophy. I talk a lot about current events. We, so my industry, one of the things I love about it is people from all over the world. Um, so you're on set and there's going to be five different countries represented on that set. And a lot of us have moved to New York. So we have that sort of American New York experience. I mean, that's a distinct American experience, but, um, so politics comes up quite a bit. Uh, philosophy, a lot of times spirituality. I usually bring that into the conversation just because it's usually something I'm thinking about. 
books, liter- uh, literature, podcasts, all those things, really. I, I have great conversations on set. It's never superficial. And I get to learn so much from, you know, all this these diverse people coming from different backgrounds. And um, it's really fun. So you, and you get to also like get to know some of these different cultures. Like I have, I have my favorite. I, I'm a super fan of the Dutch culture. <laughs> you know, interesting. So yeah. yeah. What? Tell us what you love about that. What have you found out? Oh well, and I actually went there this summer because I was like, I really love these people, so I just want to go to the country, and I loved it. Um, they're very down to earth. Um, they're very environmentally conscious. Um, very rational. Yeah, they don't take thing they don't take themselves too seriously. They're pretty pretty reserved, but not like English reserved. Just kind of I don't know, they're very thoughtful. I have a couple of questions. I was yeah. wondering about the industry that you're in, and I know maybe this is a little more the the movie industry out in LA, but but me too and you know, the all the issues around that and have you had to deal with any of that have you had any heard any gripes about any of that how you know yeah you, you know, kind of what's what's the deal long story short yeah. yes yeah I, I think most people probably have um fortunately my story is not as bad as some others but there was a reality show that I was doing um and you're just you're with these people all the time for 12 to 16 hours a day six days a week uh and I, it was this show called Ink Master, and I was doing the judges. So Dave Navarro was one of the judges, and I'll just call his name out because I don't care. Um, the first day I was on set, he, um, uh, I, you know, he's trying to be provocative or whatever, and um, you know, I introduced myself, and he said to me, "I'm going to grab your C U N T," and then he, and then he. And then he, my makeup bag was just like kind of next to that area and he picked it up and he just jostled it around. And I, you know, obviously it's completely inappropriate. I, I, um, did what I think most women do in a situation like that is you make it a joke and was like, dude, you missed ha ha ha. And then everybody's laughing. He's like, okay, you cool. You pass, you pass or whatever. But I had to live for three months with this kind of energy and not just him, but the other ones too, of constantly degrading women and their, what they were talking about. Um, it was really gross. Um, they were really demeaning to, to women in general. I did have one of the judges try to kiss me. It was, it was pretty awful three months. Is it better really now? Oppressed. The, Is it better after now? the Me Too movement? I think it's getting better. I mean, people have to be more on guard. I I haven't been in a situation like where like a TV show or anything like that in a long time. I'm usually on a set where there's a lot of women on set. So I haven't had I don't even think like an opportunity to be that. But also one of the things that's surreal, I was doing um there's a country music band out of Nashville that I do hair and makeup for. It's a married couple called Haley and Michaels. And they had done a song that was, I guess, big with the Me Too stuff. And the woman who founded the movement was in their video or whatever. There's a really large um, women's group, and I forget the name of it, in New York. And uh, they were having 
a sort of gala at the Plaza Hotel. And so Haley and Michaels, my clients, were singing the song for it. So we're, it was like the year of, it was like some anniversary of the Me Too movement. And so we're all feeling good. Like, I feel like, I don't know how most women down there are, but most women in New York are pretty happy about the whole Me Too movement, feel like we needed it. And uh, I think I'm doing their makeup. I think think most American women feel that way wherever you are. I think so. Yeah, I think so. Right. Um, And we were I was doing their makeup when the Brett Kavanaugh trial was on. So we were watching we were watching the Christine Blasey Ford and the because we were literally doing makeup for hours and the uh, and the Brett Kavanaugh testimonies. while we were getting ready for this Me Too celebration, it was pretty surreal. <laughs> wow. Oh, my God. Question about um, makeup philosophy. Do you have any philosophies about makeup for everyday makeup for, I don't know, women of, of color, women of any age? I, I, I just, I know, I hear things about, you know, what you should do. And, you know, do you try to cover up? Do you try to highlight? Do you... You know, how do you, do you have any thoughts on any of that and still being you and. Yeah. Um, gosh, it just depends on the person so much. Um, I, I think in general, uh, skincare is really important. So if, if your skin looks great, that's the best thing. Um, and makeup, I think in general, you should treat makeup like an accessory, so, um, you know, you've got your jewelry, you've got your scarves. Well, makeup is another accessory. So I don't, I don't know that you, I think women are beautiful by themselves. I don't think that they should feel like they have to put on makeup to be themselves. They're beautiful. God made you beautiful. But um, it's a really fun thing to play with and celebrate yourself with and express yourself, your mood with. Um so in general, I'd say just take care of yourself, hydrate, sleep, and and good skincare. And I'm a big believer in you know sort of organic, natural skincare. So I, my favorite lines, I have a, a number, but probably Eminence would be one. Um, Evan Healy, which you can get at Whole Foods. Um, there's a number of things. Yeah. So skincare, start with your skincare, and then. If you want to do a little something, I would say for me, I like to focus on skin. So there's a great tinted moisturizer with sunscreen in it that I really like um, called Suntegrity. And it's also all natural. Um, They sell it Goop and Credo Beauty. I know. And then you can also... I have a little sort of online store. It's Vera Pages. It's an app that's about to launch. And it's all of us makeup artists that are actually working makeup artists recommend products on it. So you could go to verapages.com or download the app. I think it's going to be available to the public soon. Oh so God, that has all my exciting. recommendations on it. Yes, that's amazing. I'm like, yeah. trying to take yeah. Awesome. Yeah. 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 Um, well, it's still in the beta phase, but it should be launching soon. Um, so it's Vera Pages, V-E-R-A. And um, the guy who started it, he's just, he, he's gathered a lot of makeup artists who are who are really working to sort of have them put what they recommend um, for people. Because, you know, you read a million reviews, but, you know, these are like reviews by people who are using these things all the time on lots of different people. So I have some products listed and 
a lot of other makeup artists do too. So that might be a fun thing to check out. It should launch soon, but I think maybe if you went to Vera Page's backslash Virginia Lindsay, you might see a couple of mine. I'm still working on it, but. And that's Lindsay as in L-I-N-Z-E-E for anybody who's wondering, because that's a sort of a different right. spelling. It's a really bizarre spelling. It's the most common name with the most uncommon spelling. It's super <laughs> annoying. <laughs> um, Virginia, I have, I have to ask too, just for tips, because it's like you see all these articles and they have those those headlines that are like, you didn't know you're doing this thing that makes you ten, look 10 years older. <laughs> you know, is there any little like trick or tip that I don't know for eyes or just your, your normal person could just immediately put into practice to your view besides skincare that you would say would help? Yeah, usually sometimes it's funny. Sometimes more makeup actually makes you look older. So um, if you're going to an event, obviously it's appropriate and great, but um I would say like a good like a good light foundation um, that's not too heavy, uh, like the Mac Face and Body, or you could just use you know a tinted moisturizer, or Laura Mercier, or the Suntegrity. Um, uh, Armani is great, Givenchy is great. And there's a bunch. Um, some of the creams are good, like the Tom Ford sticks. Uh, and you could maybe even apply some of the creams just where you needed it. You might not want to put it around the whole face um but maybe just your t-zone kind of under your eyes anywhere there's like a little redness and then um an eyelash curler is great that makes your eyes look bigger because it lifts uh your eyelashes cast a shadow over the white of your eyes so the eyelash curler lifts that lash so you have less shadow it makes them bigger brighter also a nude eyeliner in the waterline is also going to make your eyes look bigger and brighter cleaner more awake alert so that's a good little trick um the makeup forever one i really like that nude liner uh for the waterline and then sometimes you know if you want to do a little bit of eye makeup i mean you can go to town but um for maybe for just something quick every day uh, obviously mascara is pretty awesome. If you have really, really, really pale blonde hair, pale, pale skin or red hair, sometimes a dark brown mascara is really nice. It's a little softer. In other words, you know, black's great for everybody. My favorite is the Buxom mascara, which you could get at Sephora. It's pretty fabulous. And just make sure you concentrate the wand at the roots of the lashes. I kind of go back and forth like a little windshield wiper with the tip and you can clump it up to the bejesus on the roots and then, but not on the tips. So then you want to like really feather it out. Um, you don't want any clubs on the end. So, um, I just like put a ton at the root and go back and forth and then just not as much on the ends. Mac makes a really great mascara fan brush, which is really nice for sort of, uh, the bottom lashes. If you just want a little color, but not so much texture. Um, or to feather out whatever mascara you've put on the top. Uh, it's really nice. Or if you have really blonde eyelashes and you might want to just paint the tops of them dark also, you can use the brush for that without it getting clumpy. Um, and then eyeliner. I Everybody needs a dark brown and a black. Um, Pat McGrath's eyeliners are fabulous. And uh, If you want a stick liner. And then um, the... If you want to do like a little wing liner, the MAC Black Track gel liner is pretty great. Bobby Brown's is the exact same. Um, 
and with a really, really thin angle liner brush, you could apply it with that. Um, but I, I'd say to look, maybe to be on, if you're worried about looking older, you could do a really fun big eyeliner for a night out. But I'd say for every day, if you just want a little something and it typically looks a little younger, keep the, the eyeliner on the top really, really thin, just almost just in the roots of the lashes. So, yeah. And then eyebrows. Eyebrows make you look a lot younger, too. So um, you can use a clear mascara just to kind of brush them up and keep them in place. Um, and then if you need to fill them in with a little pencil, uh, you could use a, an eyebrow pencil. And then I I put in the pencil. I First, I brush the lashes down with a mess, like a clean mascara spoolie. And then I put the pencil kind of feather it into the top part. Then you brush the the brows back up because you, you want to concentrate the brow almost to the top to sort of lift. If it's really heavy at the bottom, it's going to make it look staggier. And then if you need to put some pencil in the bottom too, you can kind of just do that. And then, but the best thing, whether you use pencil or not, is to take uh, either a brow gel or a brow powder, wet your little skinny, skinny, skinny uh, angle brush. And then you I sometimes I'll test it on the back of my hand first to make sure it's not too thick. And then you basically like flick draw tiny little individual hairs. So then, especially on the ends of your brow where, where things start to teeter out, um, even just drawing a couple little hairs in there finishes off really nice. So I'd say brows, skin, lashes, pretty good. Remember, remember what we said about this being an art form? Something tells me I'm going to try to go do all this and I'm going to look like a freaking clown. Probably <laughs> not. But Virginia, we are so, so thrilled that you joined us. And I, I know that we could probably talk with you all day. There's just so many things that, that are interesting about your life and your work. So we just appreciate you taking a few minutes. We've heard about your app, but is there anywhere that folks can find you or any other any social media where they can connect with you? Yeah, um, my website is... Virginia Lindsay backslash carbonmay.com or my agency website is Ray Brown Pro and dot uh, com and then backslash Virginia Lindsay. Uh, you can also find me on Instagram, although to be honest, it's usually just pictures of my kids, but sometimes I'll post some stories in there. It's at Virginia Lindsay and then Lindsay's L I N Z E. So yeah, find me. Instagram's probably the easiest thing, I guess. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. And you can connect with <laughs> Bell Curve on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well at Bell Curve Pod. And please don't forget to check out our Bell Curve Insiders Facebook page. Thank you all for the reviews that you have left us. It is so helpful. And we will talk to you soon. Thanks again for joining us, Virginia. Thank you for having me.